Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Alan Rickman makes tea on YouTube, Taiwan's Cedic Ballet Discs get the blues, and we look at the films Fairy Tale Killer and Lockout. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, May 15th, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super-secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. It's been a while. Had a bye week. Things kind of got a little bit uh, turned around last week, but uh, here we are back doing another show. Yeah, that was my fault. Well, it was my fault, too, as we had planned to yeah. schedule things a little bit back, further back, I think, on Friday, and then I uh, had a schedule change. So we are here uh, again, though, to talk about films. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. Um, what's some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today, Kevin? Uh, today, of course, we'll cover a few news items. And then uh, for East Screen, we'll be talking about the new Pang Brothers film, or Danny Pang's film, uh, Fairy Tale Killer, starring Lao Cheng Wan and Wang Bao Chang. And for uh, West Screen, we'll be covering the sci- and quote-unquote sci-fi action film, uh, Lockout, I was like to call it, Escape from Space Jail. All right. All of that and much more coming up right after this little bit of news. All right, before we get into the news, just throwing a quick shout-out to the chat room. Looks like we've got a couple people in there, a couple regulars. Uh, filmmaker Marco Spomberg and uh, fellow podcaster all the way from Europe, Mr. Kenneth Brewerson of the Podcast on Fire Network. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Always happy to see you in there. Uh, Kevin, before we get really into the, some of the more interesting news items, we both saw a movie a couple weeks ago that's being put on by the Film Critics Society here in Hong Kong. And that is the uh, 1970s film Network, right? Yes. This is the first correct. time you've seen it. Yep. You'd not not seen it before. I've seen it many times before. I use it as a as a teaching device in some of the classes that I teach on communications and media studies. General impressions on the film? Did you like it? Did you did you not like it? Oh, it's fantastic. I loved it. I was it was much more of a comedy than I thought it would be. I mean, because so much attention has been put on that, you know, the the famous monologue by Peter Finch that I didn't realize the rest of the movie, you know, has so much to it. Um, of course, the writing is great, and it's, it was a lot more absurd than I, than I expected it to be. Yeah, yeah. A lot more absurd as comedy. Um, it was a lot funnier than I expected it to be, and... But it's still, generally... it's so very relevant, you know, in today's, yes. in today's media society, and everybody talks about, you know, the Howard Beale... Uh, you know, uh, monologues that he gives and especially the one where he, you know, tells people to go outside and say, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. But, you know, again, for me, as I mentioned, Ned Beatty steals the show in his one scene where he lets out classics like this. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature and you 
will atone. So yeah, uh, it's a great, great movie. It is a bit old. It looks a bit dated. I mean, the print we saw kind of made me wish I was back home watching my DVD because yeah, it was kind dated. of a really bad, bad print. Yeah, even um, uh, Lam Chu Wing, who is the, the film critic who was responsible for 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 um, programming the film, even he was surprised at how bad it looked, the print looked, because he apparently sourced the print all the way from, he had to source the print himself uh, as the coordinator, and he sourced the print all the way from England, mm. and he was quite surprised at how bad it looks, and um, actually now I'm, I'm more than willing to I'm really think about buying it on Blu-ray, because it is out on Blu-ray, uh, quite cheap at Amazon.com, mm. so I'm thinking about now buying a copy and finally watching it in uh, proper visuals. Yeah, I might have to, have to dig that up. I've got the local version of the uh, DVD, which has Chinese subtitles, so it's good for, you know, teaching the students and classes, especially on some of the rants where it can be kind of hard to keep up with uh, yeah. some of what's being uh, talked about. Yeah, um, actually, the, the, you, have to, you have to give credit to the Hong Kong Film Archive and the critics, uh, I think it's the Hong Kong Critics Society, I'm not sure, people who put it together, um, the, the subtitles were um, digitally projected beneath the print, and apparently they were all, I think, newly done mm. by the, 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 um, the head of the Hong Kong Film Critics Society yeah. for the screening. Good job. Good job all around. Nice. Uh, but happy to get a chance to see it because I've never actually seen it in a theater setting. So that's a ni nice experience to have. Uh, all right. A little bit of uh, YouTube news. Um, this is, I don't know, this, is it really film related or not? I just thought it was kind of cool. I came across this uh, video. Uh, I think it was on Google Plus or maybe it was on Twitter. Somebody had, had forwarded it along. And it's called... Um, Epic Tea Time with Alan Rickman. Now I don't know if this is the original or if this is a remixed version. Uh, the version that that I'm that I came across here is about seven minutes long, so it's pretty lengthy. But basically, it's a super slow motion shot of actor Alan Rickman uh, making tea, and of course, the part that makes it epic is some of the gestures that he uses in making the tea. Because it's in super slow motion, it's like watching an episode of a Time Warp from the Discovery Channel, and because of the soundtrack, I'll just uh, I'll just see if I can start it up, and you can hear some of the soundtrack going on in the background. And I'll put the link in the show notes for interested parties. This is from the uh, Inception soundtrack. And it goes on like that. The it goes on for I don't know uh, that, that six minutes. Yeah, six minutes. But it kind of repeats that that riff uh, quite a few times. So it does get a little bit boring. But watching Alan Rickman just making his tea uh, is quite humorous. Check it out if you're into seeing some uh, silly style YouTube stuff like that. All right, next bit of news, uh, some Blu-ray news. Uh, this is about the Cedic Bale Blu-rays. Now, if I understand correctly, these are the Taiwan release discs uh, having some issues, and I think a uh, friend of the show, Kozo, uh, Ross Chen, has experienced these issues firsthand. Is that correct? Yes, and uh, I can explain, because I was the one who, who, who 
picked up this issue uh, over at Yes Asia. And um, okay, so the the, the the Taiwanese version of the um, Cedric Bali Blu-ray, the first the limited box set, uh, when it first came out, many people discovered that um, at points during the first film and also the international version, the film would literally just freeze. The frame would freeze for, for about a second or two before going back to normal speed. Um, and many people got mad and uh, many people, you know, talked told the distributor about it and they were kind of slow they took about a week before they start issuing replacements the problem is that um we here yes asia we sourced the disc essentially we sourced them as they come out and the the, the distributor were so slow to to address the problem that that though that bad batch of this arrived and got into kozo's hand my own order was canceled because they decided to, to push back my order to give me a replacement, but it was canceled eventually because we couldn't get the replacements for a reason. So, um, yeah, uh, Kozo, but then Kozo did get, get got his hands on a set of uh, replacement discs, and, um, and I think it should play fine now. Um, the, the limited edition is totally out of print now. Uh, the, regular, the new regular edition coming out, I think, at the end of the month uh, should have... No problem with the playing the disc. Also, the Hong Kong version, which actually uh, features better a better bit rate for the video and splits splits the film into two different Blu-ray releases. Also, has no such problem because it's a is a totally different 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 uh, production country, different nations producing it is different press. So, um, not only does the Hong Kong Blu-ray have better bit rate, video bit rate, it also has no technical difficulties. So, you mentioned that there are two Hong Kong. Blu-rays, or or is it split up into two discs? Because the, because essentially, Cedric Bali is two films. Yeah, it's two films. So, so, so like they, Red they Cliff separated. One and Red Cliff Two. Yes. So while the Taiwanese the Taiwanese version included both films and the international version of the film, uh, the Hong Kong release split the two films into two different releases um, with all the making of material from the Taiwanese uh, Blu-ray. But so the only thing that the Hong Kong version lacked is the international version. Uh, but I've gone ahead and ordered the the Hong Kong version, and I can um, I can report back later on the quality. But it's supposed to have a better bitrate, so um, even people in Taiwan are they're so angry about the Taiwan release. And this is actually a very high profile release because it's the biggest you know Taiwanese film of all time, and and it was a very pretty release, and many people were looking forward to it, and they were so angry about the problem that many of them actually leaned towards the Hong Kong release instead. Hmm. I wonder if there were any beheadings. Someone should. Well, okay, I shouldn't. <laughs> but yes, it seemed oddly appropriate that a movie with such beheading would would, would bring that kind of wrath mm. onto the cons- consumers. Yes. All right. Uh, you have a little bit of news for us from Japan, uh, talking about the Hong Kong film, or is sort of like a Hong Kong slash China co-production of Legendary Amazons, which we reviewed uh, last year to uh, much humor, as I recall. Yes. Um, so so J- uh, Japan finally got this movie, uh, Legendary Amazons, and um, they've been showing it in theaters. But um, from the very first moment when they released the, the trailer, which I will send, actually, I will post and I will copy and paste the link to Paul right now. Um, from the trailer, you can see that the distributor knew exactly what they were getting into. They knew they had a very campy film coming, and they're trying their best to sell it within by telling viewers what they're expecting. So um, not only is a trailer kind of review like this, it's campy side, the cinemas has also, have also been playing along. Uh, one of the steps they're doing is that um, 
they they hired I mean the distributor hired two comedians, two well-known comedians to record a commentary for the film. And uh, for a very limited time, for about two weeks, and once a, only once a day, I think at 6:45, they will play the film with the commentary on top of it. Uh, so you get a so you get a funny running commentary over the film, just like you would if you watch the Dynasty with us. Hmm. Uh, so so apparently they they did warn the viewers um, ahead of time that this is not the normal normal showing of the film. Um, this will have a running commentary on top of it, and that if you're if you're watching the film for the first time, it might not be uh, what you're looking for. So at least they warn people that way. Um, also, what they're doing, theaters are doing, is that um, because Lender Amazons have many, many characters, it's about it's about the entire uh, Yang family going out to war. The female members of the Yang family. So the the um, the, the the company is letting people ha- giving people another chance to watch the film. If they bring back their ticket stub from the first time, and they walk up to the box office and said, "I've seen it, but I couldn't follow what the what the hell the movie was about the first time," then you can watch it for a second time for half the price. So uh, they they really know what they're trying to sell here. They know that they don't have a normal. They have a very much a throwback to a '70s or '80s kind of grindhouse uh, Hong Kong film here, and and I think it's a very brilliant strategy to try and boost box office. Um, what do you think, Paul? Would you would you be willing to watch the film with a running commentary on top of it, or would you be willing to watch the film again with um with with a, with a, with a discounted ticket price? No, we've been there. We've done that. We had our own commentary when we watched it. That was enough for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't see myself picking this one up on video anytime soon unless it hits the, the bargain bin. Um, but what do you think about the, the strategy for distributor try and boost? Uh, hey, I think it's great. You know, I think, uh, you know, some people in, in Hong Kong could do the same. They could, uh, you know, ask us to come in and, uh, or, or just send people to the theater, right? And, and <laughs> let them watch it with us at the dynasty. Um, the thing it is about film culture. I mean, because Japan has a very diverse film culture. Is that you know you have your cult audience, you have your audience for cult films, you have your audience for horror films, you have your audience for indie films, and and because the film viewing culture is so diverse, there is that they are really they're or they're able to you know uh, uh, target a certain audience. Uh, unlike Hong Kong, where you know groups of individual groups of audience are so small that you know it's almost pointless to try and you know. Appeal to just, it just those few it, people. It does make me wonder if they had to get permission from the distributors to take this approach. It, it's the Hong. I think it's a Japan distributor's idea. Yeah. To do it, uh, but I'm wondering. Yes, I'm wondering if they need the permission of Hong. If the people in Hong Kong, the the Maya knows, or the rights holders yeah. in Hong Kong knows anything about this strategy. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's the wave of the future, right? Uh, but yeah, you should definitely definitely watch the trailer. I think I, I I love the trailer. It makes me at least if I saw the trailer before before I saw the movie, then I would know what I'm expecting. I'm wondering too if they'll end up somehow incorporating that into a video release later, like they'll have that commentary track as a selectable track on the DVD. Surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, uh, last bit of news uh, about News Corp. Right? Aren't they dead? <laughs> News Corp would never die. You know, <laughs> isn't like, isn't the, like uh, Rupert Murdoch in litigation until uh, until he goes into the grave? <laughs> I forgot he's he's got so much money he'll probably he's like Mr. Burns right he's uh he's gonna yeah. live on and on and on. He's gonna be frozen. He's gonna be like he's gonna just just segue into the Futurama era where his head <laughs> is preserved and 
you know, forever. That's one of the things they should have done on Futurama. That would have been such I a great... They did. did they? I think it did. I think Rupert Murdoch's head did show up in one of the... Oh, no, no. I, I, I thought... I was. I meant Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. Oh, should, Mr. Burns? Oh, that would be awesome. Should yes. show up on... Yeah, I, I think they've done Murdoch on there before. Yes. So you've got a story for us about News Corp buying, what is it, 20% of uh, Bonacorp? Yeah, Bonacorp is... Uh, okay, so Potty Bona uh, is essentially... I, I think I mentioned before, along with Huayi, they're two of the biggest um, independent uh, film studios in China. Uh, film corporations or entertainment corporations in China. Um, so this is big news because News Corp just bought 20, 19.9% stake in the company. And it, and it bought directly from the company CEO, Yudong. Uh, Yudong previously owned, um, well, this number, he, he previously owned 40%, 47% of the company. So now he, 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 he dramatically reduced his own stake in the company, uh, and now News Corp has twenty owns twenty percent of one of the biggest studios in China. So that's huge news, and actually a surprising one because twentieth um, Century Fox China, uh, when they made Love in Space and uh, also Hot Summer Days, they actually collaborated with Huayi Brothers, their direct competitor. So it's it's kind of surprising that they would now turn to um, Bona instead. Actually, Bona is a publicly traded company; they are on the Nasdaq in uh, Nasdaq. So so it's. Um, no surprise that they will be on News Corp's radar, but uh, I'm surprised that News Corp would give up their uh, partnership with Huayi and go straight to their competitor. Mm. So what does this mean? Um, it means that Fox doesn't News Corp doesn't no longer has to um, uh, do what they did before with 20th Century Fox, which is um, you know set up a whole new operation in China or in Asia to try and make films for the area. Now they just own part of that company they don't even have to worry about setting up new new operations anymore um this is also huge because uh, also because this is a direct investment from hollywood um into chinese film industry or into chinese entertainment world the most i think the most direct invasion unlike a previous partnership you know like legendary uh, legendary legendary pictures um creating a new company with with other chinese entertainment companies this is a direct uh buyout of a company so um it, it, it's gonna be it might change um the future of uh, it might see you might see more hollywood intervention in bonus um bonus work from now on hmm. yeah it's interesting in the article i'm reading from uh film is asia by patrick freighter it says that despite the group the group that is news corp's global interest in media a uk parliamentary committee last week declared murdoch as a not a fit person to excise, exercise the stewardship of a major international company. Uh, it says the comments came in a report by the House of Commons Cultural Committee that looked into the telephone hacking scandal uh, that was all throughout the news and the buzz of the media. I think that started last year, right? Yes, I think yeah. in the last year. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, this is not the first uh, attempt by News Corp to have media ownership in, in Hong Kong. Uh, or in China, uh, I know that uh, at one time they owned South China Morning Post for a while, and then mm-hmm. they sold it. Um, they, it. It also says in the article that uh, over the past decade, News Corp has made repeated efforts to penetrate the Chinese media market, but has reduced its stakes in Star TV and Phoenix Chinese Channel. I think they still have some percentage of Star TV. They, um, they still run chi- uh, Star Chinese movies. They still have the Fox Premium movie channel and of course all the you know 
my Star World and yeah. your English I, it, language. It, it makes me wonder if they were reducing their stakes in those two companies, um, why go all in with Bona? I mean, do they, I, they must see some kind of different angle or different advantage that they weren't able to leverage out of Star and, and Phoenix Chinese Channel. Because I think they see that the film the film industry is much better. But because that at the end it says um Chinese media market specifically, they still have a very big stakes in the television market around Asia, you know, Singapore, Taiwan, uh and Hong Kong of course. Uh I think for China they see that the film industry, the rising film industry with their with their um essentially um um what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's multiplying every year. Hmm. So with that really, you know, quick rise, I think they find that that industry is much easier to break in than the television industry. Well, you know, one of the criticisms that people can lay against Fox and, and stations like Fox News outside of the politics is that they tend to, to you know, sort of a, uh, drum up the sexy time on, on their programming. So, you know, they, they, they kind of push the envelope. Uh, you know, usually news programs will run with stories about, you know, models and, and, and showing women in bikinis and stuff. So it makes me wonder, maybe they should get Murdoch to come in and buy up TVB and <laughs> get rid of some of their more conservative uh, TV drama programming where people never actually kiss. You know, <laughs> you go watch 20 or 30 episodes of a, of, a, of a TV drama series, spending six weeks with it or something, and the, the leads never actually kiss. It's like, come on, guys, come on. Um, yes. Well, that has more to do with the actor and the media, the media environment and the immaturity of essentially most readers in Hong Kong, most gossip-hungry readers. Uh, it, it's really, uh, yeah, um, I can go on and on about the problem with Hong Kong audiences more than the Hong Kong media. All right. Well, good for News Corp. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll produce something interesting as a result of their uh, their presence. Maybe not. Maybe it'll just be more wiretaps. Maybe that's why they're coming in, right? Because uh, China saw what they were doing in in the UK and they said, "Hey, we need to learn from this guy," right? <laughs> so they're like, "Yeah, come in. Uh, buy up some of our companies. Teach us what you know." I would like to go back to China once, if it's sometime in the future. So I would, I would refrain from making any comments about yeah. that. <laughs> um, that's enough news. Let us move on and talk about some film. All right, up first, uh, latest film from one half of the Pang brothers, uh, famed in Hong Kong as directors for their takes on. Uh, the supernatural, the scary. This time they bring us Fairy Tale Killer. Uh, Kevin, what can you tell us about Fairy Tale Killer? Sure. Um, Fairy Tale Killer is the latest film from the Pang brothers, uh, who found fame with uh, The Eye and uh, also, yeah, mainly The Eye actually. But there's another solo effort from one of the two brothers, is Danny uh, Oxide. I think made. Uh, did Oxide make Fairy Tale Killer, or was it a collaborative I think it, effort? I think it was Danny, wasn't it? I no, I think Danny. Danny made. Uh, okay, we gotta pause the show so I can look this up. <laughs> I thought I saw his name on the credit. It could be a because that was a free big 3D movie, so it could have been um, both of them. Um, I will check right now. Okay, so Danny was responsible for um, a solo effort. Wise, he was um, responsible for Force of Death. Uh, in Love of the Dead, um, bank uh, seven to one, 
the Child's Eye and Storm Warriors were both uh, co-directed efforts. So, so Oxide was actually responsible for um, Sleepwalker. So actually, you can see that when the two brothers they get together, they make a movie, and they when they split off, they tend to make films of similar. Um, similar theme or similar mm. idea so while while um oxide tackled the murder mystery with sleepwalker danny uh tackles his own version of the murder mystery with fairy tale killer yeah. uh the film stars lao cheng wan as a detective um who who catches um a mentally uh challenged man played by wong bao chang and wong bao chang um he essentially confesses to the cops that he's killed someone but then, of course, the cops go and they discover that the so-called victim is still alive. Uh, so they let the, the Wang Baochang character go, only to find that next day the man is actually dead. So they realize that uh, they, this, this case might be connected to several kidnappings. And they're starting, they, they start to suspect that this, uh, this mentally challenged man uh, might have something to do with it. Uh, so meanwhile... Um, the Wang Baochang character, the mentally challenged man, is actually hiding out in his own little hideout with um, a very talented but also equally mentally challenged painter played by Elaine Kwong. And from her paintings, um, her, her paintings are all based on, I think, old fairy tales, like grim fairy tales. And with those paintings, um, that is how the Wang Baochang character picks his next, next victims. Uh, so... That is uh, so. In this process, of course, the cop has to find a way to to find a pattern, uh, even if it's through his own autistic son. Uh, find a pattern and capture the killer before he, I guess, completes his mission. Uh, that's really the closest thing I can think of in terms of you know a, a real plot. Anyway, so how long has it been since the Pangs last made a good film? Uh, don't answer that. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said on, on Weibo, I wrote on Weibo after I saw the film, I said, hey, um, the two Mr. Pangs, do you guys know what one-hit wonder means? You should know because I think you are them. Uh, essentially, they haven't really made a good film. Me and Koza were talking about today. They haven't made a good film, I think, since The Detective. That was in 2007. Uh, so it's been five years since they made a good film. Uh, they've just kind of been, been, been I think... Um, Kind of strolling, streaming along, uh, fulfilling, making movies to fulfill their contract. You know, really mediocre films like *In Love the Dead* and Seven to One* and uh, *The Child's Eye*. And don't even get me started on *The Storm Warriors*. Um, and this is no no improvement uh, for 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 neither of the Panks. Uh, it's shot on the cheap, and of course, it has a lot of cheap frills. Uh, the film isn't particularly scary or suspenseful. It's just really loud. And that's how how and Danny uses a really um, intense sound design to 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 engage his viewers, but it's just kind of punishing the entire way because it's so unnecessarily loud. Um, Lao Shui plays a really unlikable character here. His cop character not only um, not only is a fail fail detective. He's a really bad investigator. He also throws his subordinate under the bus when a, when a, when a data-leaking scandal comes out. And he also emotionally tortures his family on a daily basis. So I'm not sure how, how, how the, uh, Danny got into China with this, with this, with this shameful of a cop character um, and managed to actually have this movie play in China. Because um, mainland China films, they requ- SARF requires that all cops be 100% righteous. So I was very surprised that this film actually managed to play in China. Um, that being said, Lao Cheng Wan is still more likable than anyone else in this movie. Because he is, he, is the, I think his character is the only one that had any depth or any personality to it. Um, 
because the film has a really dangerous message. Uh, essentially, it kind of presupposes that all mentally challenged people are dangerous. Um, I think Danny Pang must ride on the MTR a lot. I'm not sure why. But yeah, um, I think he has a fear of mentally challenged people, autistic people, and he thinks they're unpredictable. And essentially, that kind of fear manifests itself into the film and it put it, that those qualities into the villains of the film. And it's kind of a dangerous message, I think. Um, the mystery itself is really dull and senseless. senseless. Um, essentially, there is no mystery. The the only real investigation that happens is Lao Chen Wen looking at a bunch of weird Picasso post-impressionist modernistic abstract paintings and somehow he figures it out and you know the Lao one's character must have graduated from art school because I have no idea what the hell was going on um, and the worst is that all that stuff all that crap in the middle leads to a really weak ending because the film has no mystery it has no no momentum there's no real reason to keep the plot going and when that ending finally came when when the 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 villain you know monologues himself uh monologues and explains his motivation for everything you're just kind of shrugging and wondering that's it i, I just wasted 90 minutes on this um but if there's one, I guess there's one excuse, I, or one thing I can excuse Danny Pang with Fairy Tale Killer is that um, Danny did say that the film had to suffer a lot of changes. Uh, he didn't say why, but of course we can we can kind of assume or or you know deduct that it is because of mainland authorities because this film uh, opened day and date with the mainland, and of course it was financed by a mainland company, so it had to play in the mainland. Um, so I would like to know what kind of pressure Danny got from Sarft. Um, because actually, Oxide Sleepwalker also suffered a lot of... Um, I was told under the table uh, or off the record that it also suffered a lot of changes because of Sarf, uh censorship. So I would like to know what kind of um, changes Danny had to, had to make to make his film work. Um, otherwise forget about it i mean the film is is no good um it is less boring than sleepwalker but that doesn't make it any better so uh yeah forget about it hmm. as, as donnie brasco would say uh paul what, what did you think well loud that's what i thought um i have a new practice now in films and in part i i started this with uh the film cabin in the woods which uh, we're not talking about today but is a uh, is a far better film. <laughs> Even though the first hour of Cabin in the Woods is a, it, it's kind of tropey. It's, it's that way for, for a, a reason, but the last half hour more than makes up for it. Um, so if you want to see a, a fun film, scary movie, uh, related to, to film genre and, and playing with genre, um, check that movie out. Uh, Joss, Joss Whedon, um, helped, helped create it. Uh, but this movie, really loud. And uh, one of the things I've had to start doing now is actually wear my earbuds in my ears while watching a movie. And I can still hear everything perfectly fine. Um, and I did that through the course of this film because it was just so loud and uncomfortably loud. And um, I put my finger in one of my ears. Yeah. It, it's, you know, I, I, I know that in sometimes in scary movies they use sound to generate a, a jump effect and do that once, maybe twice, but to have it, you know, just everything being overly loud, the music, you know, coming up and sweeping in and, and in moments that don't really make sense, especially with the, with the score that they're using. I think, uh, it's just trying to cover the fact that there's not a lot of material there. 
Um, and maybe that's part of the problems he was experiencing is that he had to go in and change things and cut them around. And so he was left with nothing but sound to sort of come <laughs> in and, and fill in the gaps. Uh, but it doesn't work very well, if you, as you've already pointed out. Uh, the, the, the actor who plays the killer, I think the last time we saw him was last year in Chole Foot and uh, Chole Foot Kung Fu, right? Chole uh, Foot Kung Fu? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, he was... No, early this year, he did. He just finished. Uh, he did like a really on the cheap comedy with uh, Eric Tung, um, and also, also because he was in. He was one of the yes. fighters in Choi Le Foot, and he was the star. No, no he wasn't. No, he wasn't in Choi Le Foot. He was in Choi Le Foot Kung Fu with Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, but I thought he was one of the one of the guys, one of the villains that they fought against at the end. In Chile no, no, Foot. he's too big. He's too big for it. No, no, he's too big for it. Really? No, okay. not Wong Bai Chang. Probably look alike. He was yeah. also in Love for Life. Last year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, he, he, you know, he here he is. He's playing a, a mentally challenged person, and I, you know, I don't know if would you be offended if you're mentally challenged and you saw this? Well, kind of, I don't think they know how to be offended. I, I, I guess <laughs> you know. Um, I don't think they have the mental. You know, I felt bad for I felt I felt really bad for Elaine Kong, the actress who's playing you know sort of the other half of of the equation here, because she had no lines really. Uh, she had very little dialogue. It was all kind of like physical acting as a mental patient and just painting most of the time. Uh, and after seeing her in such a good performance in Love Lifting to come to come into something like this, I was just like, oh, what a what what what, what a sudden drastic drop for her. Um, so I hope that this doesn't, you know, prevent her from getting better roles as a result. Um, the the pacing, though, is really off. It feels like, you know, it was kind of rushed and edited in some ways. Um, it could have done better. I, I think the concept would have been better if they had more time to work on it and develop, to develop it. it. It wants to be a movie like Seven or Silence of the Lambs. Uh, you know, that's that's the feel it's trying to go for. If you watch the trailer... That's what it's kind of presenting. But there's no hook. There's no re reveal. I mean, right from the beginning, what you see is what you get. And, and the, the rationale that they throw in at the end, it's like, oh, you know, it's done through a sort of a, a flashback se sequence that is never really hinted at. They've got one clue that's so totally hidden, there's no way you could actually see it as a clue. In, in the footage that they actually have earlier in the film. And the rest is just like this storytelling sequence about why things are going on. And it's not shocking. It's not revealing. It's just kind of lame, ultimately. Um, I, I agree with you that I don't think um, I liked any of the characters, really. Um, I didn't like Lao Ching Wan's character, who's kind of a, a dorky boss. You know, he's kind of sort of out just for his own motivations. And the... The whole thing with the painting, I mean, because it's it, it's trying to parallel this this guy who's got mental problems, and it and and he's killing people with the fact that he's got a son who's got mental problems, and you think at some point that you know his son is going to you know bond with him or help him, and and, and that never really comes across. It never really happens. It doesn't really seem to go anywhere. I think that's the direction they tried to get to, but. Um, it, it just doesn't really work. But but that part of it, I think if they would have had more time with it, it, it could have been a better film overall. Uh, the big problem, though, as I mentioned, is the sound, the soundtrack. They over, 
they use this orchestral score that's really loud and it comes in in places and it creates tension and what are they doing? They're walking down the street, right? <laughs> I mean, why do you need tension when you're walking down the street? There's nothing happening. It's like they've just got nothing else to put there. Um, you know what? what, what I, it was already given up. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I don't want to say skip it. I mean, it, no, it's okay to say it, skip it. It's. Pan, yeah, I mean, I, hasn't made everything anything. It, it was. It was. Wasn't it filmed in a place you used to work at? Right, part of it. I mean. No, if it is, it is part of part of it is filmed near the Yes Asia office, so it is a very familiar view. Yeah. But I'm sorry, just because a movie shot shot in the neighborhood doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, I don't know. I'd say I'd say okay, if you like Lao Ching Wan, maybe TV it as a double feature with the child's eye, and then go back and watch the eye to cleanse oh your palate. Why would you ask anyone to watch the child's eye? Most of us say Sleepwalker. It's kind of like a, a double feature of badness, you know. You, you do. Oh, the, that's Sleepwalker for do, sure. Do, well, see, I haven't seen Sleepwalker because every because oh, yeah, yeah, all of you guys warned me off of it, right? Um, but yeah, it's like double 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 feature of badness, and then go back and watch the eye. You know, sort of where they started out at the top of their game. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not it's it's not very good, unfortunately. Um, it had potential, just, uh, I don't know, something happened in the production that kind of didn't work out at the end. Poor Lao Ching Wan. So bad. Yeah, so <laughs> bad. Um, skip, skip, skip. Yeah, skip. Kenneth, Kenneth in the chat room asks, he says, uh, would like to know your opinions on which brother seems better when directing alone. You know, as I look it's over the, fil the filmographies, it's kind of hard. Um, mm -hmm. Uh... The problem is that they're not you know, particularly. Actually, they're they're. Dan film Danny is, has Danny has leave me alone, to his credit, which has Eakin playing twins, right? One of them gay. Yeah, I mean, double Eakin. You can't go wrong with that. So I've got to give it to Danny. Um, no, but no, but Danny has made like in love with the dead, and like, uh, yeah, and and well, seven to one was okay, but I think Oxai had diary, has the detective. The thing is. When when the brothers went off on their own, they didn't make particularly good films. It felt like they were just fulfilling a contract. The problem is afterwards, when they got back together, they didn't make good movies either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it's just, it's just I, I wasn't as I wasn't as down on Storm Rider or Storm Warriors as as most people. It wasn't a great movie for a sequel, but as a movie, I think it was okay. Um, I think it just didn't do what it needed to do as a sequel to the to the classic film it was it was sort of following on to um but yeah i mean uh, hopefully you know the two of them i think if they get back together and, and they really spend some time and and generate some creative ideas from each other they i think they tend to do better um as a team just my two cents all right let us move on and talk about some west screen films Okay, West Screen. We are here to talk about a French film, believe it or not, known as Lockout, also known as MS-1, Maximum Security, a 2012 French science fiction film. This is directed by James Mather and Stephen St. Ledger, uh, also written by Mather, Ledger, and Luc Besson. So when I saw that, I was like, Luc Besson? Oh, that's the guy who brought me films like uh, Wasabi 
and uh, you know what's the uh, Colombiana, you know the fifth element, right? So I I, I was on board uh, to go out and watch this film. And what Dude, is it a film? What is it? Yeah, the professional, right? Uh, what is it a film about? It's about space prison, right? Prison in space. Uh, so that's you know it's 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 already right there. The tagline has has got to bring you in. Uh, film stars Guy Pierce um, as the main character um, who's called Snow. And for the longest time, I kept wanting them to call him Jon Snow because I've been watching too much <laughs> Game of Thrones. But uh, so he's he's Snow. He's a sort of a an ex operative agent uh, who's been framed for a crime he did not commit. Oh, where have we heard that before? Um, he's offered freedom if he can get on board of MS One, this maximum security prison in space, and rescue the president's daughter, um, who's happened to be stuck there during a prison. Uh, riot and uh, escape attempt. Do you need to know much more than that? Yeah, there's a subplot going on in the background about some kind of corruption in the agency. You know, the whole thing with, you know, why Snow's, uh, you know, convicted of, of doing something wrong when he's actually innocent is all there. Who cares about that? We want to see space prison, right? Putting convicts in prison in space. Um <laughs> Let's see. The government, you know, says space is too expensive, right? They don't want to go to Mars. They don't want to go to the moon. They've shut down NASA. They've shut down the... They, well, they haven't shut down NASA, but they shut down the space shuttle program. So let's envision a future where we're going to have this huge satellite. Okay, actually two huge satellites. One is going to be a space prison where we put people to sleep, right? Prisoners, we can't put them to sleep on Earth because it's not secure enough. So we're going to put them to sleep in space, in orbit around the Earth. Um, and then we're going to have a, a space precinct right near the space prison, right? So not only is that more money going into the prison system, more money going into the police force. So uh, that's your tax dollars at work in the future, folks. Ah, uh, they, but they did explain that it was the private companies, the private deep exploration companies. Yeah, but you, you, know, you know they're getting government subsidies, right? I don't know. It's just maybe, a, maybe the movie is built by the Hong Kong yeah. government because it's, that's what it sounds it's like. It's a crazy concept from the get-go. Yes. Um, it is a typical maximum security plot. If you've seen things like Escape from New York, uh, Christopher Lambert did a film, 1993, I think, called Fortress, um, or even Vin Diesel's Riddick movies, or or the, even the awesome game Escape from Butcher Bay. You know, it's the same thing. You're stuck in this place that's supposedly impossible to escape from, and yet people somehow escape. The only problem is, is the way they escape here is totally lame. It's totally lame. Uh, the escape happens because the president's daughter is going there as a humanitarian thing to make sure that the prisoners are being treated humanely or something. So they bring out this nutso-wacko guy with a, I guess he was, what do you have, Irish accent? And uh, she's interviewing him. Now, there's glass between her and the guy. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a room where they're separated by this impenetrable glass, supposedly. For some reason, the whole escape happens because the agent that's with her ends up on the other side of the glass with the prisoner. Now, he's supposed to be her escort, her protection. Why is he on that side to begin with? It just doesn't make sense from the get-go. But nonetheless, the escape happens, and so they send up snow... To he's supposed to recover something and and trying and and also he's there to get the president's daughter out safely, and of course nothing goes as it should. Um, there's of course a, a main brain convict who comes out and tries to run the show, 
Um, that being said, despite kind of being cheesy, it is kind of fun if you like these kind of sci-fi um, shambles, basically is what, you, what, what I would call it. Um, parts of the film are fairly well, well executed in terms of the special effects. Parts, not so much. Like in the beginning, there's this... It, it looks like a motorcycle, but it's more like a unicycle jet thing that he's riding through the city and helicopters are chasing him and everything's in CG. And, and that part looked really, really bad. It looked like it was done on a PS2 or something. It was in the nicest PS1 game I ever played. Yeah, yeah. It was, but yes. it just, it almost looked like it didn't fit with the other effects that were done in the movie. Like they had a different production house uh, doing that one. Um, it, it kind of feels like a higher end film you might see produced on the sci-fi network. Um, so, you know, a bit better than something like Mansquito. Um, but the characters just make dumb choices in different places. And it's one of those things that you kind of have to just kind of go along with the ride, shove some popcorn in your mouth and, and see where they end up going. Cause you know, kind of where they're going to end up at by the end. The greatest thing, though, that I've ever seen is they have these, I don't know what they're, what, what you'd call them, space suits that can fly through the atmosphere. They, they, can, they can go through the atmosphere, <laughs> no problem. They can absorb the heat of the atmosphere um, on descent. And then they break away once you get to a certain altitude, you know, so they break away from your skin automatically and out pops the parachutes and down you go. And they get down in like, I want to say, less than 10 seconds it's 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 that quick it's and it's that t timely in terms of the editing actually it's not very good editing in that scene but it was pretty it was pretty some pretty amazing tech so i think that uh so you know maybe nasa or maybe the uh, russian version of nasa is going to be knocking on some of these guys doors to get some ideas from them. what do you think kevin okay um actually i want to see mansquito now <laughs> no trust me you don't want to see mansquito <laughs> I mean, after I saw a trailer for a million-dollar crocodile today, I, I'm up for some mosquito. Shark octopus. Um, that was an awesome trailer, by the way. Uh, yes, Escape from Space Jail shall be its title forevermore. I will not. I refuse to call this movie Lockout from now on. You don't. You don't I like MS One Maximum Security? Max Escape from. I didn't even like Maximum. No, no. It's got to be because it's like the third. If Kurt Russell is still alive. And, and, you know, still acting. Oh, wait, I think he is. <laughs> if he's still alive, he'll be doing this movie as a third installment mm. of the Escape series. Because essentially, it's the same damn premise. It's, you know, the president's daughter, even. <laughs> the president's daughter. Yeah. Well, it was, the, a, it was the president in Escape from New York, and here it's the daughter, right? So Wasn't it the daughter in, in L.A., too? Was I she? I don't. I think it's the daughter in L.A. Well, it could have been. I, that one yes. was so bad, I don't really remember. I've got it somewhere yeah. on the shelf here. I remember it, but yes, it is so. It is as stupid and silly as the premise promises. Um, but I mean, if there's one reason to watch this movie other than the stupid premise, it's Guy Pierce. Um, his first scene is entirely one-liners, and I love it. As you know, as an aspiring screenwriter, you know, really, really love good dialogue. I, I, I had a really great time with with his one-liners. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I did wish his, I couldn't get enough of his character, and I wish that his character was in a better movie. But honestly, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. You know, he's, that's how good Guy Pierce is. Um, you know, the villains, the premise, the setting is all B movie, C movie ish. Um, and you can't even say it's lazy because I don't think the directors are trying to make a good movie. 
I think they were just trying to make an entertaining movie. So in that case, in that in that sense, they weren't really lazy. They did what they wanted to do, and I think it was entertaining. And short enough, it was ninety minutes. Um, you won't remember much of it afterwards, but I think you do have some kind of fun. I thought um, Guy Pierce and Maggie Grace, who plays the president's daughter, have some good chemistry. They have they bounce off each other quite well. And in that, you know, in that sense, it's quite fun. I wanted more. I wanted more of that. Yeah. Um, the effects were bad, yes, but I thought it was okay for the budget. I mean, the race was almost inexcusably bad. Well, the race was race. bad, but like the the later parts, um, they they have an assault that goes on on the station with these like little, yeah, the Star little Wars fighters. Assault. You know, it's, yes. it's this it's the Star Wars scene basically. Yes, that was actually pretty Star good. Okay. And and those yeah. effects, like I was saying, those effects didn't really seem to match with the the motorbike or the, or the speed bike effects in the first yeah. part you know it's like yeah, I have no idea that why. that totally seemed like it was done by a different production house it, who knows maybe it was the same one maybe those were the interns <laughs> maybe it was a stylistic choice you know it's a throwback to perhaps, playstation perhaps. to you know super nintendo games or something yeah. but yeah i mean when would they ever learn that like in space you can't really have a fire i'm just wondering <laughs> but you know but forget it um in addition to you know, guy, I was talking about Guy Pierce and, and Maggie Grace, Peter Stormare, who was uh, in um, Fargo. You might remember him, and yeah. also in um, what else was he in? Uh, he was in Dylan Dog, I think. Uh, okay, Dead yeah, but that was and... also a bad movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Stor- yeah, Peter Stormare. He, I think he has a, he has a. I don't think he speaks with an American accent. I don't think um, Ameri- uh, English is native language. So hearing him here trying to, you know force an american accent makes him like the least convincing u.s secret service agent ever <laughs> you know imagine me like i'm trying to i'm doing like a chinese accent but i'm trying to force an american accent out of myself um that's about what peter stormar's um uh, uh performance is like um but anyway it, you know it's a lot of fun i can't say watch in a theater because who the hell would you know waste as much as my day i literally did watch it just so i can talk about it on the show and i end up having a lot more fun of it than i expected to so um it's fun but just keep it on tv it'll be great background noise and you know or it's a good dvd rental or blu-ray rental um if you like it you can even keep a vcd copy but otherwise yeah it's a, it's a good tv fun kind of movie yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things I've been going back and watching a lot of is uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. And this would be a great movie if that was still running. I'll say if Hong Kong had a, had a, had, a, had some money, this would have been a, you know, this is like perfect movie for Hong Kong. Yeah. Louis Koo. a great Hong Kong movie. Yeah, a great Hong Kong movie. <laughs> you know, and, and in Hong Kong, it would be like a big budget blockbuster. But yeah, it would be a great, great B, B, B-level Hong Kong movie. Yeah. I think. The right directors definitely check it out if you're into cheesy science fiction. Um, and it's from France. I mean, what do you expect? Right? It's it's uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love The Fifth Element, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's just that they haven't really come close since that one. What was the what was the one we saw that came out here that I was waiting for forever? Um, I think it was also from Luc Besson and Colombiano. No, it was the one. It was sort of like Indiana Jones, but it was based on a comic book with a woman. Dell, the Adventures with Dell. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Really like that Adele one. Dell Bronze. I've got to, I've got to get that on the video. Um, but yeah, I have a DVD. Actually, you want my DVD? Escape from Space Jail. I like that title. I think, I think, I think that's the sequel, right? Space Jail Two. No, they got Escape from something else next time. You know, like Escape from Nuclear Submarine. <laughs> <laughs> or um, escape from from Beijing, 
Actually, escape oh, from Beijing. Yeah, there you go. Escape it, yeah. from Beijing. Escape from Shenzhen. They can make it tomorrow. They can yeah. film it tomorrow. Go Shenzhen, film the damn thing. All right. Escape from Shenzhen. Uh, all right. I think that's going to cover it for our films this week. Uh, let me play this little bumper. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, comments. We got a couple comments um, in the past week or so. Uh, this comment comes from a listener named Steve. He says... As Chinese, film, Chinese films can't criticize the current Communist Party leadership slash police directly, do you think some directors are using World War II Japanese as stand-ins for them? This way, they can show ordinary Chinese, or Donnie Yen, fighting back against such forces. Um, Kevin, Kevin, I'll let you answer this in a minute. My, my opinion is no. Um, or if they're intended... If... Some directors out there have that idea. I think it's problematic because I don't think that's how it's read by audiences in the mainland. There's such this general sense of nationalism. You were talking about this earlier. And, you know, in some ways, anti-foreign sentiment that that has come about since around the time of the Beijing Olympics. Um, you know, if, if you remember the the incidents with the French banning the French fries and boycotting the French fries because of the issues with the Tibet and, and some, and the, the torch when it was, you know, going through different countries in Europe and, and things. And then because of some of the foreign media um, issues that have been going on, uh, you know, they, there've been a couple foreign, I've read a couple stories just recently where a foreign teacher was just kicked out a foreign correspondent for Al Jazeera uh, was just kicked out um, because you know they're being too foreign, they're being too nosy. They're 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 barking up the wrong trees. They're doing the wrong things, basically. And I think the general sense is that the party's trying to mold this as being okay, you know, because foreigners are somehow bad for China. The influence is bad. It's bad for the party for sure. And so I think they're using this as an excuse to maybe redirect uh, the anger, the issues. Um, to a, a different target rather than the government being the target. Uh, and that's an easy thing to do if you've, if you've positioned the message and uh, the meanings behind it in just the right way, with just the right context. Um, Kevin, I, I think you are kind of on the same page. You don't really think that's the case? Yeah, um, not at all. If you spent a week in China, if you watch Chinese television... Essentially, every other television drama is about fighting the Japanese. It is mainstream value. It is us as, you know, prevalent as, you know, um, Western media about fighting Nazis. It is essentially the same. The Japanese are the Asian Nazis, essentially, in China. Um, it is a mainstream value. It is, they are the common enemy. Um, it, even, I think, I think history education in, in uh, China emphasizes um foreign foreign invaders uh foreigners as the enemy uh which you know of course they have done it it's not like they didn't do it you know with the opium war and you know for the the whole thing with shanghai the 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 way the uh each country their own and of course the japanese sino japanese war it is in the history and of course i think i think the education emphasized that part of it uh so it is very much mainstream value to 
be afraid, uh, or to um, use the the um, Japanese villain villainy as mainstream value as the mainstream villain. So it is simply the same as you know watching um, an American movie with Nazis. That's mm-hmm. essentially the equivalent. So um, you know Chinese films, they're not. It's not that they 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 want to find ways to mask criticism of the Communist Party. I think it's that. Um, you know, the films like Little Bullets Five did it, and the the leaders kind of caught on afterwards that hey, we're being made fun of. So the film actually didn't pick up much accolades within China, uh, at least government sponsored awards like the Hundred Flower Awards, things like that. Um, so, it's I don't think many filmmakers want to criticize the Communist Party because they are not one denied a position to, and two they don't want to. And I think they don't find anything to, to criticize. Uh, if you look at in terms of co-productions, if you look at the films like Ip Man, you know they they do sort of take place in in a historical time period in which Japan was an aggressive power. It was an invading power at that time, but at the same time, I mean Ip Man what's presented in the film is a far cry from the history of the yes. character. And if you look at the trends in other films, I mean, uh, Legend of Chen Zen, um, what was the one with Aaron? City Under Siege, right? Um, that it's, it's, it's a convenient vehicle to utilize in some places um, yeah. that, that somehow Japan is at the root of something that happened during this period and I think that that's a selling point for movies to get play in the mainland now. I think I, I don't even, I don't even think it's a selling point, as in oh, only people are going to watch that movie because it has Japanese villains. It's just something they come to expect. Well, you know, I mean, you know part I mean. of me thinks it's back to the, part of it. the science fiction films in the United States in the you know in the '60s and 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 the '70s and later years, and you know, a lot of movies about aliens and invaders. From, from other worlds were really commentaries on fears about, um, you know, Russia invading or, yes. you know, communist China invading or, or something. But it was speculative in, in a way that it reconstructed those fears into something else that was going on, like, you know, the, because of things like the space race and advances in technology. So you had this sort of merging. So instead of making all your films just about the evil communists coming over and doing bad things, you now had these new narratives that would appeal to younger generations because they weren't so direct, they weren't so in your face. I keep wondering if the potential is there for something like that to happen in China. Um, In China? Yeah, I'd I'd certainly welcome it. I mean, I'd love to see a, a, a science fiction boom in China. I just, it doesn't seem like they have the interest or the desire or the creative juices to sort of rework some of their ideas they seem to just want to stick with you know these traditional tropes that have worked in the past and and even though many people are sort of bored to death of them they still want to go back to that well the thing is we we're saying that we're bored to death of it because we don't like these values or these these blatant nationalism being portrayed but when i saw flowers of war in in shenzhen in china um, and I'm talking about I'm sitting around audiences who are surrounded by these type of narratives every day when they watch television. Even then, they're still reacting to the films. Like, they're still literally going, oh my god, the Japanese are so evil. Oh my god, shoot them. Shoot them. Shoot them. Just shoot them already. Like, they're still 
entranced in these type of narratives. It's almost just it is so ingrained in their culture. They don't even realize that they're being brainwashed into this or that it's, it's blatant nationalism that's being force fed into them. They just see it as an everyday narrative. It is their everyday for them. Hmm. So it is it's not ever going to go away because it's been it is a way that the Communist Party tried to, I guess, emphasize um, nationalism and still nationalism, especially after um, 1989, the student movements in 1989. There was a whole resurgence of national uh, patriot education uh, or nationalism education, and this is the result of it. All right. Uh, we got another message uh, on the comments section from Ji Song, who writes in. He says, it looks like Rouge, the 1988 film starring Anita Moy, Leslie Chung, is finally getting a Blu-ray release in the U.S. Uh, do you guys have it? Have this in Hong Kong already? I'm very curious as to the restoration quality of the release. I would love to get it if it's done right. This is one of my favorite 80s Hong Kong films, probably in my top three. Uh, Kevin, do you have any of the details on uh, the, the Blu-ray release? Yeah, actually, that's the Hong Kong version that Ji Sung is, is referring to because he linked to the Yes Asia uh, page that is the Hong Kong um, Cameron Ronson or Fortune Star Blu-ray release. So, so it is also if you the first said it's time... Fortune Star, I don't have much hope for a, yes. a good transfer or special features or anything. Yes, because it's been for, because Fortune Star's catalog or, or yeah, their catalog is or their library is so huge that they've decided to just give the no 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 expensive restoration treatment to all their films just to not show their bias, I guess. So. Um, if 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 their previous releases of you know Better Tomorrow the Killer or the Michael Huey, the Huey Brothers movies have been you know if they're the standard, I wouldn't expect much from Rouge. Essentially, I I would just tell um, Jisong the same thing that I told um, Hong Kong Dave when he was on Facebook asking about the Huey Brothers release. If you really want to own this movie and we've never owned these movies before, um, Blu-ray is the best way to go because they just happen to stay around the longest. Hmm. You know, the yeah. the one advantage, I think, to Blu-ray with com, in comparison with contemporary or current release Hong Kong films is the region coding. Because Blu-rays yes. tend to be region A, which is playable both in Hong Kong and in the U.S. on, you know, commercial Blu-ray players. Whereas, like I was asking you guys earlier about the um, upcoming uh, DVD release of Love Lifting, which I think is coming out in two days. And that's a that's a region three DVD, yes. and I'd kind of, you know, even though it's not a really a Blu-ray worthy movie in terms of, you know, it's it's a fairly low budget film. It's a Herman Yao film. I'm not expecting great visual quality or, or super special features on it, but I'd like to have the Blu-ray because it would be region A. So if I do end up going back to the U.S., I won't have a problem, you know, having to track down a, an all region player or something in the future. Whereas if I get the DVD, it'll be region three, meaning if I do go back to the US one day, I'll have to have an all region player at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that um, it Blu-rays have become more attractive to me in part because of that, because of the region coding. Whereas in the past, you know, I, I don't know, is the, are the, are the um, DVD versions from the from the catalog uh, that that Rouge belongs to, are those still all region, or have those started being region coded? Do you know? I have no idea, but actually, I've had I have heard some feedback from our you know people around. You know, actually, some of the listeners of the show that the older DVD releases look 
better because they were those films were re- you know I think um, might have been uh, remastered mm-hmm. for a um, for DVD release yeah to not not 1080 maybe 720 and they were pre remastered for those and I have a feeling that that they just use fortunes are simply use the same print so that they took a 740 they took a 720 print and put it on 1080 upscaled of 1080 1080. Yeah. Uh, so there is a good chance that if you own it on DVD, you might likely have a better visual quality than the Blu-ray itself. And some of the DVD players will actually do a bit of upscaling themselves, which will make them look nice on uh, newer televisions. Yeah, I haven't figured that out for much. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your comments. Uh, I think that's going to wrap things up for our show this week. If you would like to be part of the show, you can always head over to our website at www.congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. Join in there. Leave some comments. Leave some feedback. We'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, You can also head over to iTunes. uh, Leave us a short review or a shout-out there, and uh, we'll try to uh, take notice of that and mention here on the show. Of course, you can follow along at Twitter, twitter.com slash congcast to find out show updates and if we're going to have a little bit of a real-life problem like we did last week and have to cancel a show or move a show. Uh, we usually update news uh, over at that site. If you'd like to follow us individually, twitter.com slash foxlore uh, to follow along with my very mundane daily viewings and, and musings. Of course, I urge you to follow twitter.com slash thegoldenrock where you can follow Mr. Ma and much of the movie news and interesting things that he comes across in terms of news from China, like that uh, douchebag of a foreign guy uh, that we were talking about earlier. Um, so yeah, please do follow him. That's twitter.com slash thegoldenrock, has one word. If you'd like to get in touch with us on email, uh, that is at gmail, that is eastscreen at gmail.com. You can send us uh, some questions, some comments, a uh, short audio file, and we might just play it here on the show. Uh, If you are iTunes-averse, we would urge you to catch us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. And we thank them for their support of our little show. Kevin? What's up? What's going on this week? Anything exciting? Do we have a movie night this week? Yes, we have it on this weekend. We will have the new, um, we have uh, Floating City, new film by Hong Kong New Wave director Yim Ho. Um, it's his first film in like a decade, yeah. so, or like at least six years. Uh, stars Aaron Kwok, Charlie Yun, and uh, Annie Liu. All right, and uh, uh, yeah. why is that on the weekend rather? Because normally we get Thursday releases. I just think it might be a day and date with, with, with Mainland. Ah, I'm I not see. Sure. Interesting. I'm interesting. not sure. We'll be out uh, seeing that. I don't know if it's on the weekend. I don't know. I've, I've got to work this weekend on Saturday. I don't know if I'll be able to make it. Um, but yeah, if you are in Hong Kong, if, in the, if you're in the Hong Kong area and you'd like to come out and join us uh, for a movie night, which we have for local films on a fairly frequent basis, whenever there's a new film, we try and get out and watch it together with a group of film fans. You know, do uh, drop us a line here at the show and we'll tell you how you can uh, come out and join in the fun that is the Dynasty experience. Right. Although I don't yep. know if we're going to be seeing Aaron Kwok at the Dynasty. Apparently, one of the members of the movies group ha- is refusing because uh, of goodwill. So, <laughs> possible goodwill for for the director. Really. And and the respect possible respectability of this film. So uh-huh. we might not. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's happening. Anything else going on? Any writing you're doing? Any blogging? Anything people you want to throw their attention to? 
I'm still finishing up my freelance projects, but right after that, hopefully this weekend, I will finally um, get to work on those um, reviews mm-hmm. for lovelyshadefilm.com. Um, hopefully, I'll be doing Lives in Flames first, and of course, the other two China movies I watched recently, as well, maybe some Pan-Asian stuff that I caught on a festival scope. All right, and uh, you, I guess it's at a certain point, will you be able to talk a little bit more in depth about your... Uh recent freelance experiences um i can talk about the one i just recently finished i can't talk about the content of course but i just finished um doing a script because well it's going to be on the can market in the next couple of days Mm -hmm. anyway so i can talk about it um i just finished a script translation for um the last tycoon the uh the the epic by written and directed by wang jing that's being filmed right now in china uh starring uh chow fat and huang xiaoming and shu chi so mm-hmm. that's the big thing I just finished. Um, I'm also working on the English subtitles for the latest Mado movie, which is called Mado, the Port of Music. Wow. Yes. There's an actual title already. Yes. That actually is reviewed on Sandra Ng's Weibo. So I, I am, I am actually uh, at the liberty. I am at liberty to to review that. Excellent. Yes. Right. I'm, yes. I'm, so that I'm, movie should be coming in the summer. I'm excited about that one. Um, are you gonna get going go to any like cast parties? Are you gonna get to like rub shoulders with Sandra Ng or? If meet, I'm lucky, meet the pancakes or anything like that. If I'm lucky, I might get to go to the premiere or something. But I'll be like sit in, seated in like the first row because I'm just the guy who wrote the. You know, I'm, I I think the kid, the the, the kid who who dealt Madol with a better seat than, than me. Let's <laughs> just say, as it should be, right? As it should be, yeah, of course. Okay. I mean, I'll go like, up that kid and like, shake his hand and and you know, yeah. And dude, right. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. All right. Well, we will look forward to your future writings and hearing some more of your thoughts on about working on both of those films. Uh, next time, what do, do we have any uh, anything to any any upcoming films besides uh, the Aaron Quag movie? We're gonna talk about um, yeah, Floating City. Uh, I'm not sure if you're. I will probably watch um, the best exotic Opibo Indian hotel movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, best exotic Marigold Hotel. Uh, we also this weekend also sees the release of American New Reunion, or I guess as called here because not to avoid uh, confuse anyone, American Pie the Reunion. Mm-hmm. Uh, also the Navy Seals film, uh, Act of Valor, and um, Wuthering Heights. I might catch that, but it looks interesting. And also Wreck Three, the Spanish horror film. Ah yes, I so haven't actually all... watched all of Wreck One or Two at any point yet, so. So we won't be covering those. Yeah, I don't, sure. I don't think we'll cover cover Rec 3. I don't think we'll cover Rec 3, yeah. but I will probably watch Best Exotic Marigold Hotel because it is doing quite well in America yeah. uh, under limited release and, and you know, apparently is a big hit around Europe. Yeah. So I might... Telling you, telling you, you got some free time, go watch Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. I, I think you're like me. I, I'm not a huge horror fan, um, but I was... A lot of the buzz around the movie, friends I know that really love Joss Whedon, said you got to go see it it's you know it, it it's it's a film that's about film more than anything else and it's got some really interesting angles and some really funny things in it too um and it's not as horrible as most horror stuff i, I think just i think you know i'll, I'll watch it eventually yeah. i just i just prefer to watch you know horror stuff at home and I can control and I can yeah. keep my Pause, hand on the volume fast forward. button. No, I can keep my hand on the volume <laughs> button. But the, the biggest thing is the volume button. I'm not yeah. afraid of gore. No, I'm telling you. I'm telling yeah. you. Earbuds. Earbuds. Earbuds are working wonders for me. Okay. Uh, I've sat through two movies with them in now and uh, I think it's, it's the wave of my future for sure. 
thing is, uh, I have in year ones, so I might end up turning on my iPod and the rest of the movie. <laughs> All right, well, let me throw out a quick thanks to uh, Rob, Go- Rob Gobers of Snauzer Studios for our theme, Ross Chan of LoveHongKongFilm.com for arranging our movie nights. Of course, Kevin for sticking with me for almost 110 episodes, uh, 109 yes. now. And, of course, you, the listeners, for being here with us each and every week, whether you're here in the chat room, whether you're listening to us on Ustream, or whether you're catching us as a podcast later on. We really appreciate uh, you guys being there, and we like doing the show because you like listening to it. Um, so, yeah, next episode we'll be talking about Aaron Kwok's latest film in something for West Screen. We haven't really determined what yet. All that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Uh-huh.